Hey there! Welcome to the What Connects Us podcast, where we explore human connection with people in the province. Today we're chatting with Kira Novak about her tough path through alcohol addiction and the worthwhile cost of recovery. It's the season finale, so you know it's going to be impactful. Yes, you heard me right. We're already on the finale of season two. Looking back, I am so proud of this season because we have explored some topics and heard some deeply personal stories about cancer, infertility, fostering, leadership, self-care, and even sudden death. These are all topics that can feel uncomfortable to talk about, but I guarantee if you do a quick inventory check on your friends, family, coworkers, old high school acquaintances, you'll be able to tie each of these topics back to someone you know. So hopefully you felt connected with Brianne, Megan, Craig, Casey, Sarah, and Tawny, and have taken something from their vulnerability and their lessons learned. I know I have. But we're not done yet. Before we take a quick break, we have an episode for you that is a perfect bookend for a season that has featured very emotional and deeply moving stories. I think a lot of us remember where we were when we realized that COVID-19 was here in Saskatchewan and... We received that news of the provincial health order that told us that it's time to go home and we have to stay there for an indefinite amount of time. Imagine receiving that news when you were days away from completing your 60-day treatment at an addiction rehab facility. Our guest this week is Kira Novak, who secretly battled a serious alcohol addiction for years, but has very recently taken the steps to take back her life. Kira is one year sober after spending 60 days at a private addiction treatment center in British Columbia, and she's holding nothing back to tell her story about her dark rumble with alcoholism, how it impacted her physically, mentally, emotionally, and financially, and how much of a grip it had on her and her relationships. She also goes through how her, how her family saved her, what a two-month treatment at a rehabilitation center is like, which is, it's so interesting and how she has navigated sobriety during a worldwide pandemic. Trust me when I say that Kira's courage, transparency, and insightfulness is going to leave you inspired, educated, empathetic, and just speechless. If you're listening to this and you are struggling with a relationship with alcohol or someone close to you is, I hope this is a signal of hope for you and you know that you are not alone. And after listening to Kira's story, I hope you know that you can turn shame into empowerment. What connects us to Kira? Let's find out. Kira Novak, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mason. I'm excited and nervous at the same time, but yeah, yeah I'm glad to be here. This will be great. And before we get started, uh, I, was, I, I told a friend I was interviewing you and they said, you have to ask her about Harry Potter. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, why? And she's like, just ask her. So what is your relationship with Harry Potter like? Oh, I love Harry Potter. <laughs> I love all the books. I've gone to the theme parks. I have two theme different- parks? Well, the ones in like Orlando, oh, yeah. like Universal Studios. And yeah. I have two wands. <laughs> <What? and laughs> you have two wands? Yeah. One for work, one for home. <laughs> <laughs> so are these like- what do you do with these ones? Are they just well, collectors? I, no, I I do magic spells. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> let's get started. Okay, um, hit me with a quick introduction. Who is Kira Novak? Give me some background on who you are, so we can better understand your story. 
Okay. Um, so yeah, my name is Kira Novak. I was born in Tisdale, Saskatchewan, but quickly moved to Regina when I was like one years old and grew up on a farm actually just south of the city. Um, a brother and a sister and uh, great parents. Um, I uh, went to university at the U of R mm -hmm. and studied and got my degree in international business and marketing as well as my minor in German. Mm. Um, I love to travel. I studied in Germany three different times and I've been to Europe, I think like seven times and been to almost all those countries over there. Crazy. Um, one of my proudest moments would be traveling to, uh, Nepal and actually climbing to base camp of Everest. That yeah. Was, that is so cool. Yeah. It was an amazing exp experience. And how long did that take? Mm, it was seven days up and five days down, and I believe a total of 111 kilometers walked. Oh my gosh. But it was beautiful. I yeah. mean, I say that now, it was awful at yeah. the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was so hard, and it wasn't physically hard. It was mentally very, very difficult. Right. Um, and I remember someone saying, like, you're going to hate this now, but you're going to look back in a year from now, and you're just going to say, oh, that was such a great experience. And that's exactly where I am. Like, um, it was, it was spectacular. And there. that is something that a not, not a lot of people have done. Mm -hmm. That is so unique that I don't know. I think you're the only person I know that oh, really? have done that. That yeah. is so interesting. You should go do it. No, <laughs> <laughs> I, that sounds like hell to me, but, uh, sounds awesome for you. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I'm a auntie. Absolutely love being an auntie. Yeah. Uh, I have three nieces and a nephew, um, an amazing dog. Her name's Lily. Yeah. She's my best friend. I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. You crushed that question. So Kira, I have to tell you how excited I am for this, this conversation because a couple of years ago, I came out by posting a video telling my story and you called me to congratulate me right away. And absolutely one of my favorite conversations I've ever had because you, you just gave me so much love. But during that call, you said that you hope to one day have the strength to come out and speak your truth. And I'm just so excited because that day's here. I want to give you the opportunity to to speak your truth. So tell us what your truth is and uh, what you were feeling at that time. Um, my name is Kira and I'm an alcoholic. Um, at that time, <clears throat> I watched that video um, of you and I, I was just so proud and I'd never seen such courage before like <clears throat> you just you personified what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do and you did something really hard um and you shared it with the world and you did it so well and so graceful and no fear of judgment or maybe there was and you said I don't care like this is me and I just looked up to you and you know I I hoped one day that I would be able to be at that spot. And at that time, I was so scared that I would never be able to come out and speak my truth, whatever that may have been, because I didn't think I would ever get out of where I was, which was a really dark spot probably in my life. You inspired me. So. Oh, Kira. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thank you. Those words just meant everything to me. I'm so proud of you. Like I said, this is this has been a conversation that we had a couple of years ago. And I remember when you, you gave me that call, I was like, I cannot wait for her. I didn't know what that truth was back then, but I was just like, she's gonna get there. 
and, and I knew you had the drive and the motivation and um, the will to, to one day be able to speak those words. But to hear you say them is, I'm, I'm so proud of you. And I'm so excited for this conversation because I'm so interested in, in that side. Um, how did that feel? I mean, every time I say it, I'm scared at that very second, but I do feel a sense of relief every time I do it. Yeah, It's hard. I'm still getting used to saying it yeah. and being open about it. There's not a lot of people that can. They're, it's hard. It's really hard. It's very so hard. It's weird also saying it with through this microphone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like coming out. It's like I always refer to it as leaping off of a high dive. You have to climb, you have to climb one rung at a time. And then you you peek over what that looks like and you go, you go three, two, one, and you go and you sometimes get stuck. But then the fall, you feel that like euphoric, like, ah, and then you're so proud of yourself. And you're like, I did it. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And I was like, before I said that, I was like, do I say it? Uh go for it. Just yeah, do it. Exactly. And so. I I love the way you said it too. Like you I could feel you mustering up your courage to say, My name is Kira. And like I can see you, the audience can't can't. And you you felt every moment. Your eyes were closed, and it was it was really powerful. So thank you for sharing that. But before we continue, I think it's important to define what alcoholic means because I've heard it said in so many different ways, including someone who can't stop drinking once they begin, someone whose behavior drastically changes when they consume alcohol someone who craves it and needs it to cope, things like that. So let us know how you would define it. Gosh, like there's so many definitions out there and it's very confusing because that is the case. There's so many different symptoms. Right. Um, how I like to describe it is someone's no longer able to choose. Mm -hmm. They're no longer able to say no. The switch is always on, regardless of the consequences. Right. To me, like I think of this situation that I constantly put myself in. So five o'clock is the witching hour for me, 5 p.m. Okay. Every day after work is yeah. the hardest time because now I'm going home to free time. Right. What do I do with it? Mm -hmm. So every night, or I try my best to go over and see my nieces. They yeah. light up my life. Like yeah. I can only think about them. They make me smile. I love it. Yeah. And so um, I would go over there, spend some time with them, be like an hour would go by. I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm going to go straight home. Yeah. That's my, that's my plan. I'm going to go straight home. I work tomorrow. I'm going to feel great in the morning. Yeah. Um, I get into my car and I'm at a, you know, I'm at a literal crossroads right. all of a sudden. Yeah. My mind is like, actually, do I turn left and go to the liquor store Yeah. or do I turn right and go home? The whole entire day, it's always been turn right and go home. Yeah. But at that very second, something changed and I am obsessed with the thought and I cannot turn right. Right. It's as if like I'm teleporting to the liquor store. I just show up there. Yeah. Like that switch is always on. It's right? always on. Yeah. And, and you know, I like I said, I would work the next day or I would have um, obligations that evening that I would flake my way out of. Right. Um, it just became an obsession. Like everything is more important or nothing is as important as liquor at that moment. And I hated it. Yeah. Every single time I'd walk up to the liquor store I remember saying to myself, I hate myself. Mm. Like I did not want that decision. Right. But I, it's, it, there's something going on in my brain and it is a, a disease. Like yeah. the pathways are crossed and something's wrong. 
Yeah, it's 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 scary how your brain can justify and like turn against you to be like, no, I'm in control. Absolutely. Ugh. Absolutely. So give us a glimpse into your relationship with alcohol outside of that. And when you started to to ring the alarm bells that this isn't healthy, this isn't good for me. Uh, everything starts from when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a beautiful childhood. Yeah. Like wonderful. Grew up on a farm. Trampolines. Go-karts. <laughs> Trampolines. Trampolines. <laughs> Like it was fun yeah, and uh, awesome parents. And I went through school and got straight A's. Grades were very important to me. Mm-hmm. You know, quickly learned that I taught myself, sorry, that grades determined my worth. Uh, if at any time that I didn't get a good grade, um, I would be very, very difficult on myself because that shows that I'm not um, as good as I thought I am right. and people will be disappointed in me. And I remember in grade 10, my friend, <laughs> <laughs> My friend um, uh, offered me for the first time to try marijuana at okay. lunchtime. Oh. And I, I'm like, I'm the goody two-shoes. I'm the nerd. Like, yep. I'm the do-gooder. And I go and do it. And because everyone knows me as this this do-good persona, um, it uh, quickly spread across the entire school. Oh, my gosh, Kira smoked marijuana oh, at yeah. lunchtime. Yeah. And, you know, although I hated it, I kind of loved it at the same time. Yeah. Like this whole time, I'm looking for something to define me, yeah. something else, some something that people can pay attention to me for. Right. And I thought that was kind of like BA. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how best... Badass. Can like, I say you, that? You okay. Say- <laughs> <laughs> what is BA? <laughs> Yes. Okay. I didn't know if I could like say that. Bachelors of administration. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, you're correct. Yeah. Um, and so I got a taste of, of what that looked like. Um, and uh, during this time too, um, I'm, I think I'm around, what is that? 15 years old. This is also at the time where I developed an eating disorder. Oh. Um, yeah. I was anorexic in high school. Um, I actually don't remember much of my grade 11 year because my weight was so low that my memory didn't work. Wow. Yeah. Um, and I was hospital hospitalized a couple of times, um, for three months at a time, actually. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, having a, uh, an eating disorder absolutely affects your, your, how your brain is growing at the time. Yeah. Um, my emotional growth kind of stopped at that point. And I'll talk about that a little bit further. I got quite sick. Yeah. But I think coming out of the hospital, getting maybe kind of a little bit better. And I met this girl that was a little bit older than me. And she said, you know what? You look like, you look like you're of age. You look like you're 19. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, me wanting to be cool, fit in. She said, you should pull for us. You should buy alcohol for us. Yeah. And so we went to the Jolly Roger. <laughs> I went in and out three times because I had no clue what a Mickey was. Oh my God. And uh, they sold it to me. Yeah. And we got Slurpees. We poured the vodka or whatever it was into yeah. the Slurpee. And I remember taking it or drinking it. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah. This is what alcohol is? Like, yeah. this is awesome. Oh, you like the first taste of it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The feeling. Yeah. The feeling was different. Mm-hmm. And we went to like a party. And I remember like, making out with a guy oh my gosh <laughs> my parents are gonna hear this for the my making out with like a guy for the first time yeah. and i was like oh like i was able to do that because of the alcohol yeah. or whatever so you felt ba oh i felt ba <laughs> you can say badass <laughs> yeah. um 
And uh, anyway, so so my eating disorder is kind of phasing out, and my and I I've I've put liquor in there. Mm-hmm. So um, liquor is in there, and I'm still struggling with my eating disorder. I'm telling my about like I don't know, 21. I'm feeling a little bit better about it, but um, after high school, I'm straight into university. And in university, like, what do we do? We yeah, party for sure. That's what we do all the time. Mm-hmm. It's normal. Yeah. Um. It's to, it's what you do to get accepted. Um. It's you know, let's have a drink after finals. Let's yeah. have a drink between classes. It's let's. How you, it's how you meet. It's how you celebrate. It's how you cope. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. And so I don't know how many how much people were drinking. I don't know how much I was drinking. It yeah. was just this is just what I'm doing. Right. Um. And it's great. And it's fun. It's lots yeah. of fun. Yeah. Um. And then. I think I was around 22, 23. And this is the time that I remember, the the very first time that I remember drinking to cope. I remember my heart being broken at that time. Um, And this was the first time that I remember getting a bottle of Captain Morgan's and going home and drinking it straight from the bottle. I didn't think really much of it. Like going home and you know, drinking a bottle of booze by myself and crying. Yeah. Um, like it's not normal, but I mean, I'm it's like, it's not this abnormal is, either. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, and it's also like this, it's only this one time. Totally. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of how the relationship I would say kind of sprung. I learned at that point that booze did make me feel better. Yeah. Like, especially with, you know, I've suffered from depression and anxiety. Um, and you know, that was my answer yeah. for a lot of situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and gradually over time for, you know, the situations um, I could have coped with differently, the, the answer all led towards drink right? Um, rather than talk to someone or yeah. rather than go for a run or something like that. It yeah. was always, hmm, what can I do? I can go drink. Yeah. And I was 26 or 27. At this point, I, I think I... Uh, finished university but not doing well career wise and didn't have much I felt really negative about myself yeah I do recall drinking maybe almost every night and by by myself right I try to invite people to come with me yeah um or you know I'd go to a bar and have a beer and read a book so I look smart and stuff like that right, right? like I do something to try to cover it up to make myself believe that I'm okay still that like to cover it up for yourself totally yeah absolutely Eventually, like one time drinking in the morning mm. and drinking in the morning because I was so anxious or hungover right. um, or shaky. This would have been about four years ago. And um, I rem- I don't know what happened, why. Um, I think I, I think I stayed at home sick, sick in quotes, yeah. air quotes, um, from work one day. And uh, obviously so shameful, so regretful because I had drank the night before yeah. um, and listening to a podcast. And it was uh, with these two super sober ladies and they were talking about like the first five things you need to do to start to get sober. Mm. And I don't remember, I don't remember the four. I only remember the one. Mm. And the one was tell somebody whatever happened that day changed me and changed my path. Even though the couple roads, the, the, the road ahead is not nice in any way. It changed it. Right. So the next day I actually uh, talked to one of my closest friends and I told her and I broke down. That was the very first time I'd ever told anyone that, um, <clears throat> that I had, uh, that I was worried about myself mm. and she was so supportive. Um, anyways, so from that point on, um, 
I, I, you know, deep dive into what is recovery or what is being abstinent or sober. And I'm reading so much and I'm doing some online sober courses and I'm jumping into a 12 step community-based group, like the ones here in Regina, Mm. you know, taking vitamins and do, and going to counseling and addiction services here. And you were ready. You're like, I was, I was ready. I was doing literally everything, but again, I was doing all those things to try to prove to myself that I was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I didn't stop doing was drinking. Right. So for three years, I see myself doing all of these things. I'm working. I'm really working. Like externally, I'm working. But the the biggest issue is, was I was not doing anything on the the inside. I wasn't looking deep inside. You know, I never, you were trying to convince yourself because you were doing the work outside again. Yeah. Like you're covering again for your inside. Yeah. And like, I'm telling my mom, my friend, yeah, yeah. I'm doing all these things. You know, I'm, you know, I got a week sober. I'm doing good. I can keep going. Um, but I never really jumped in. Like I would just be like touching my toe in the pool water saying, you know, I'm going in, I am, but really I'm just like, I'm not. I'm not trying hard enough. I'm half-assing it. Yeah. I totally am. What was it? 2019, December, December 2019. That's when my parents uh, came to me and said, you should go to treatment because at this point I'm, I'm missing work. Yeah. I'm not reliable. My sister doesn't trust me in looking after her girls. Mm. Um, just like things were po- falling kind of a little bit apart. And I'm like, I'm not that bad. Yeah. Like I still have my job. I still have my car. I still have my home. I still have lots of my friends and my family. And I'll, you know, later I'll learn that those, those things that I said that I have, those are my not yet. And what that means is if I would have continued down that same path, the car that I had, I hadn't lost it yet. I hadn't lost my home yet. I hadn't lost my job yet or my family yet, but those would come. Right. And so, um, I had, uh, I went on vacation, um, uh, I guess it was over the New Year's 2019, 2020. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I want to say that that's my bottom. It was one of the messiest um, drunks probably I've ever had. And okay. I tried to remain sober that whole entire time, but I failed miserably. And because mm-hmm. I failed miserably, just like all the previous times I drank to make myself feel better because I kept failing. Yeah. And uh, that was awful. Mm-hmm. Just, Yeah. Um, and so I came back and, uh, my, my mom found this wonderful lady out of Saskatoon. Her name's Wendy. I call her my Wendy. And she talked to me about treatment. Um, and she said, you're not alone. You sound just like me. You know, she went to treatment too. She went to the same treatment center like 20 years ago. And she said, you know, you're so smart. You're so accomplished and educated. You it sounds like you can put, do anything you put your mind to. You've, you know, you've done that half marathon. You've went to base camp. You have your university totally. degree. Yep. You can do everything, but you can't, you just can't do this. Mm-hmm. And she said, I felt the exact same way. Um, so many people go to treatment and they decide just like, I'm going to tell you that it's going to be the best decision of your life. Yep. Um, do it once, do it right and get it done. And she made me feel okay about it. Um, and so I think it was that night. I said, okay, I finally, for some reason, the shame was removed. And I'm like, yeah, like I have, I have a problem. This is a solution. I'm going to fix it. Yeah. Um, and I can do it. Like 
I am BA. Yeah. <laughs> I am BA. Yeah. I can do this. Yeah. And it's 60 days and and um, my life has been so incredibly different ever since. So oh. I know that was a long answer to your question, but I, I've been so captivated. People probably listening to this are like, is he gonna ask follow-up questions? But every time I went to ask a follow-up question, you were answering it intuitively. That story, Kira, is you, you feel so much heartbreak as you're as you're listening to it, but it's you feel a lot of heartbreak because it's so relatable. I think when you when you're an alcoholic, you and I can't relate. I can empathize. I think you fall into this shame spiral really quickly, totally. and you think you place so much pressure on yourself that you are weird, you are abnormal. Why can't everybody else gets to um, get through this and knows how to say no? Why can't I? But yeah. I think a lot of people experience some sort of symptoms. Like, for instance, a study by the Canadian Centre of Substance Abuse and Addiction reports that 20% of drinkers consume above above Canada's low-risk alcohol drinking guidelines and that alcohol is responsible for 2% of deaths in Canada. And you may be thinking, like, okay, well, that's not that much. But when it comes down to it in, in our own backyard, in our own province, Stats Canada defines heavy drinkers as anyone who has four to five drinks in one night at least once per month. And 31.5% of the population would be classified as a heavy drinker. 31.5%. That's monstrous. Does that number surprise you? No, like not at all. For two different reasons. Um, One, uh, I think about it from like a person with alcoholism standpoint. I'm like, geez, that's like... That's like not that much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I like to make light of it too. Yeah. Um, like we can joke and laugh about it. The more I make light of it yeah. and the more I talk about it, like the, the easier it is. So yeah. it's like, whatever. Um, but also, I mean, I think we've all joked about it before. Like, what you know, we're we're a farm town, I guess, yeah. or a farm city. Like that's, that's a lot of what we do. Yeah. That's a lot of what our society is, is drinking, um, especially university or weekends or like, it's always about going out and drinking and like four to five drinks in a night. Like that's like, I don't know, like it's, it's a Saturday night. In it's Saskatchewan. A, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, help me quantify what the, that cost of addiction looks like. So at the peak of your drinking, how much were you drinking in a week um, and kind of give me some cost to tell me quantify like what that would do to your bottom line. Yeah. Um, so there is costs, but it doesn't include just financial costs. Mm-hmm. So like um, we were chatting a little bit before this and I was like, I think it's easy to, you know, let's, let's say it was like a bottle of wine a night or something yeah. like that. I think I calculated it to be like 450, like 500 bucks in, uh, a, a month. Okay. Um, and like, who knows that could be, that could be more. Yeah. Um, you know, especially like in the darkest of, uh, of the days, um, when it was like a, you know, un- unfortunately and sadly, um, you know, I'm proud of myself now, but it was a, it was a daily thing. So, yeah. um, financially, yeah, it costs a lot of money, but th- the financial costs definitely, um, were not as great as all of the other costs that forwent, um, kind of in my life. Like, yeah. um, it hurt my job. Yeah it hurt the, the toughest ones were my relationships. Mm-hmm. Like the most difficult conversation I had was with my sister Yeah, and how she told me like, I don't know if you can look after the girls yeah. alone. Like, I don't know if I trust you with that. Right. And like that, that, that broke me and like that hurt our relationship. Like yeah. I can't, my sister doesn't trust me Yeah, and my parents. What's um, your reaction to that? Like in that moment, are you, 
do you get angry? Like sad, sad, very, very sad. Yeah. Cause I just know, like I'm feeling the exact same feeling that I did back then. Yeah. And I'm not angry at myself. I'm not angry at my sister. I'm like sad that I'm sad. Like, I don't want to say self pity, but it's just, it's, it's painful. It's so like, it's heartbreaking because it's not like you've lost all judgment in those moments. Like you still have those human thoughts, but they just get your, like you said, your wires get crossed. And in moments of vulnerability, you make those not even choices. You said you you lose those choices. So you're aware of what you're doing to yourself. Absolutely. And that just spirals so much shame into, into one big package. It's like, uh, you know, I I don't know if you've ever been hypnotized before, Mm -hmm. but if you're hypnotized, you know what the hypnotist is saying to you. Yeah. You, you hear it, but for some odd reason, you still act and do whatever yeah. it's, what he says. Like it's, it's as if you're hypnotized. Like I can hear what my sister is saying. Yeah. Those girls are the most important things to me in my entire life. Like mm-hmm. my sister made me two little best friends yeah. and I love them so much, but I chose drinking over them. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. It's, it, it's, you can't even really explain it. It's just the disease of the mind. Totally. And it's your body is reacting on impulses from your brain. So rational thought and things like that are also impulses that come from the brain. But if, if they're competing mm-hmm. and, and the addiction center of your brain is like, no, this override, it's it. always going to override it. Yeah like a neuroscientist after totally so yeah i was just gonna say that i'm sure there's somebody listening who's like that's not right but it makes sense to me so you hear a lot of people say that that moment they decided to seek treatment when is when they hit rock bottom so was this conversation with your with your your parents and your sister your rock bottom it would be a combination of when i went on vacation it's a long sad story yeah just know that it was very sad yeah Um, i'm in a beautiful bahamas and it's it's very sad. Yeah. And then it's it shortly after was when my parents came over mm-hmm. um, to to tell me or ask me if I could go to treatment. And this was a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm at this point, I'm very upset with myself about the trip. Yeah. Were they with you on the trip? No, no. it was just my boyfriend and I. OK. Yeah. Um, and but my parents knew my boyfriend had to call my mom. And oh, gotcha. At the time. OK, that makes sense. Um, and uh it was a Saturday, yeah, and I'm feeling low. And at this point, I'm kind of just like, I think drinking is just like a part of my life. Like it's just, it is what it is. And yeah. I, I'm I'm kind of giving up fighting it. You felt hopeless. Absolutely. And so it being a Saturday, I probably drank the night before. I was probably shaky and maybe vomiting a little bit that on the Saturday morning. So I started drinking again. My parents came over. And so I'm loaded, even though my memory is not the best. I still remember seeing my dad cry for the first time mm-hmm. um, because of me. So um, <clears throat> that was a moment I'll never forget and never, ever something I want to see again. I never want to put my parents through that and I never want to put myself through that. Yeah, yeah. It, w- it was those and then also my Wendy. It was the combination of that bottom and her hope yeah. that, that allowed me to go. Sounds like divine intervention. <laughs> yeah. It was intervention, but there was something. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was actual literal <laughs> intervention. Um, so this is this is some heavy stuff, but I promise we get a happy ending. And it starts now. So tell me the first steps after you talk to Wendy to find that treatment center. So did Wendy have this treatment center in mind and she helped you work walk through that steps? 
So um, my mom, my mom is an angel. Mm-hmm. She she guided me th- through this process. She found the solution for me. She, you know, wants the best for me. Mm-hmm. And she did all of this uh, research. She's continually looking, finding places for me to go. Um, you know, there, there, we, we were, my mom was looking at, um, like private options. There are like public options here in in Saskatchewan, but she was looking at private options and she found Wendy, who is a anesthesiologist in, in Saskatoon. And she's like an advocate. She helps hundreds of people go to treatment and she helps them or, or not even treatment. It's just like, what's the best course of action for you? And how do we make them feel okay about it? Um, and so mom had a talk with Wendy. She said, go to this place, um, treatment center in Nanaimo, BC. I think I can say it. It's called Edgewood Treatment Center. Okay. Mom just like, as soon as she spoke to her, she said, I just trust her. She knows what she's talking about. So she, mom's like, just, you don't, you don't have to go to treatment. Just, just talk to her. Just have a phone call with her. Um, and yeah, like I, like I discussed, like Wendy, you know, kind of told me her story, told me all about what treatment is, um, that Edgewood is one of the best places in Canada. Um, and you won't regret your decision once you go, just go and do it. Wow. I think it was that night that I decided, I don't know, like something came over me or she told me something, you know, exactly what I needed to hear at the right time. Like, like it totally empowered me. And uh, I think it was, you know, I decided maybe two days later, I actually opened up at work. I told my boss. Wow. Um, the thing he said to me was, you're one of the bravest people I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just loved, loved that. He's like a mentor to me. And he said, you know, everyone said exactly what I needed to hear because mm-hmm. I was so scared. Yeah. Um, it takes a new level of bravery. Like you say that when you saw my video that you're like, I want to be like that. It's one thing for me to come out because that's that's joyous that's that's exciting that i get to live my truth but you're revealing a side of yourself that you were so shameful about that that takes up like a whole new level of bravery you are absolutely one of the bravest people that i know thank you um yeah like i'm hiding i i need to hide because i need to protect this facade that i've built up this yeah smart beautiful driven person that's good at everything you know a shining star like yeah. i need to protect that facade yeah and once i tell people they're not gonna accept me anymore yeah they're gonna judge me i'm not gonna be what they what i've pretended to be totally so anyways um yeah i talked to you know my my boss at work and he said essentially just tell me when you need to go and go and it was, you know, a whirlwind. I believe it was a week's time and I booked my flight and yeah, I was, it was off. fast. It was, it was really fast. I remember when it happened, it was like, oh, she's gone already. Like that, that happened quick. Yeah. It is. It's so miraculous in a way, because I remember from psych classes, it was a term called learned helplessness. And you just described it when you just succumb to it. You're like, this is my life. Now I drink. Yeah. This is part of my life. And that is always like the danger. Like when addiction comes like you once you're there it's part of your habit now and you've given up on any hope absolutely that it becomes like a long-term thing your intervention happened just before you settled into that learned helplessness and just before you had given up all hope that you'd ever receive help i think i was describing to you too like something similar um being terminal uniqueness remember yeah. we chat about yeah. that a little bit um and that's kind of how i felt where you know, I feel like my situation, 
Um, my exact situation is so unique. You know, no one would be able to understand. My my situation is so unique that no one else has ever lived this yeah. situation before. And yeah. and it's a huge problem. And because no one's ever dealt with this very unique problem, yeah. the solution has never been found. Therefore, I'm incredibly hopeless because yeah. I'm so incredibly unique. Yeah. And I'm terminally unique. Yeah. Well, in reality, and as I learn over this past, you know, through treatment in this year, like, no, yeah. there's so <laughs> many people like me. Yeah. I'm unique. I'm beautifully unique, but I, you know, I'm special in my own way. Yeah. Um, to think that I was alone yeah. was so Like addiction is, is a shared experience a lot. Oh, unique stories goodness. within it, but yeah. a shared experience. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what that would be like to just kind of put your life on hold. Mm. Um, what what factors did you have to go through in order to navigate that? I wanted to go to treatment for a long time, mm -hmm. um, but it was my ego, my my facade. I held off on going to treatment because I'm like, I can't leave work. So many people are gonna find out. You're almost rationalizing the back of your brain, like I'm ruining 29 years of work. Oh yeah, to go for a 50 day treatment. Yeah, like what is my resume gonna look like? Yeah, like there's gonna be a gap on my resume. So yeah. like, what are people gonna ask? Totally. Yeah. Ugh. So, anyways, um, but at this point, I'm just like, I know that my not yet yeah. are coming if I don't seek help. Yeah. Thank goodness for a very understanding work crew yeah. and people surrounding me to support me being, you know, a bit of a keener. Yeah. I did as best as I could to prepare my team um, at work um, with my workload. They were also good. Just like, stop, Kira. Don't worry about it. Just go. Yeah. Like you were, you were fearing of being a burden. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe I even said like, you can call me when I'm there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Maybe you can, or uh, I'll call you when I'm there. Totally. Like if you have any questions. Come about have a sleepover. The... It will be great. Yeah. yeah. So like, what did you do? Did you like do a Facebook post or did you tell certain people or were you just up and left and they can figure it out while I'm there? Up and left. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for the people that I'm like, okay, they're going to wonder where I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, I told them, I yeah. called them. Um, but it was mostly just a, if the opportunity comes up or if the situation arises where I need to open up a little bit, then I will. Yeah. Um, and you didn't really have time to do like a farewell no. tour or anything like that. No. Yeah. And I think at that point too, even if I did have the time, I would not have been open about it on Facebook. Yeah. I'm way too deep in my shame. Mm -hmm. I'm also thinking, okay, I'm going to go away, but what if I fail? Right. What if I leave treatment and I drink again? Totally. Like, who knows if this is going to work? I don't yeah. want to embarrass myself. So you you told me about Edgewood. Edgewood, that's what it is. Yeah. That sounds like a, like a lovely place. It sounds like a hey, lovely. Great branding on Edgewood. Yeah. <laughs> so what is like a, the financial and the time mm. investment that would take in order? Because it's a private facility. So I guess, thank goodness, I'm so grateful for my parents. I absolutely did not have the financial capacity to send myself to treatment. Mm -hmm. um, tr typical treatment centers in Canada, private ones, sorry, range from 15000 to $35,000 a month. Yeah. Um, the one that I went to was about mid-range. Okay. Mom and dad gifted me this new life. Yeah. You know, so many people don't have that opportunity, I guess you could say. And I'm just, I'm, I'm forever in debt to my parents. Um, and, uh, yeah. Anyway, so thanks mom and dad. Um, and, <laughs> uh, real quick, yeah. it, it, you, I can, I can sense like you feel uncomfortable with, with, with speaking that, but 
I think that is so beautiful for your parents to feel like they could help. And that is, that is very lucky. Like that is something that a lot of, a lot of people can go through, but that is truly an investment in good and, and in help good for your parents and, and good for you for, for not letting your shame override that generosity because this changed your life. Absolutely. I would pay hundreds of thousand dollars if it meant that I could have my life back. So please feel no shame in that. You know what? Like you just reminded me of something, you know, using a, you know, a different kind of example. Let's just say someone has a a rare disease and they have to go to a hospital in Toronto and pay $50,000 to get two months worth of treatment. You wouldn't blink an eye. Yeah. You know, it's the exact same thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, so. And you have to remind yourself that you are worthy of it. Yeah. And after, I think, addiction, you you spell this narrative in your head that you, you downgrade yourself and you feel that you are not worthy of, of that generosity or to even people spend their time to try to help you. Absolutely. You are worthy. Thank you. Yeah. Um. Sorry, you also asked like <laughs> time, time investment. Yes, let's get to the time. Uh, it was 60 days, I think. Um, ones in like Saskatchewan, I believe some like go from like two weeks to two months. Mm-hmm. There's four different places in Saskatchewan that you can go to, but I think typical is about 30 days. 30 days? Yeah. So, and you were there for 60. I was there for 60. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. We're going to pause there quickly. Imagine putting your life on hold for two months. The tricky part is that things like mortgage payments and monthly bills, they don't stop. I reached out to Terry Pitzel, who is the manager of financial services at our Fort Propel branch, and I asked her, if I didn't have access to my day-to-day banking for an extended period of time, what are some options that would be available to mitigate the risk to my financial well-being? This is what she said. You may experience an event in your life that makes it difficult or challenging to manage your day-to-day banking, such as extended travel or an unexpected illness. This can create stress, anxiety, and overall impact your financial well-being. It's important to have a plan in place to support you through such events. I would suggest setting up a power of attorney. This is a legal document that allows you to name someone to act on your behalf. This person can access your funds, pay your bills, and manage your investments. There are rules in place for what this person can and cannot do to ensure that they're acting in your best interest and not benefiting from your money. Another suggestion is the use of our online banking. If you have access to a computer or a cell phone where you can download the Connexus Credit Union app, you can access your banking anytime, anywhere. You can easily deposit a check, pay your bills, transfer money, and view your account balances. If you have a loan and you're unable to make a deposit to your account, you can take advantage of skipped payments. This will allow you to defer up to two months of your payments, which will keep your loans up to date, protect your credit rating, and provide extra funds in your budget. As well, it's always a great idea to reach out to your financial advisor or our member contact center. We're here to help support you through these life events. Thanks, Terry. If you do need to leave for a couple of months like Kira did, or you're unavailable to attend your day-to-day banking, there are ways to make sure you don't come back to financial stress. If you ever have any questions, please reach out to your financial advisor and they'd be happy to answer them for you. Now let's get back to our interview with Kira. So... I'm so excited to have this conversation about what that's like. I've always wondered what treatment is like. Um, But before we do, what was that like to walk up to the center for the first time? Was that horrifying? Was that exciting? What was that like? Horrifying. Horrifying. You know, 
that day I left my home to get a cab to go to the airport. I, I told my boyfriend at the time, like, I, I don't want to ride. I need to do this myself. I got on the plane, stopped over in, I think it was Calgary or something. This would have been an opportunity to drink. Yeah. I chose not to because I didn't want to waste my first day. Yeah. Like, that's how dedicated I was. That's how much of a surrender I knew I was going through. Yeah. Um, and... I arrived there in Nanaimo and I'm crying the whole way there on the plane, trying yeah. to hide my tears, like looking out the window. I, I, my face looks like I went through a shower. Like I'm so right. like I'm soaking. And anyway, so I walk through those big glass doors and I'm shaking yeah. and bawling. And I don't know what I'm getting myself into. I'm really scared that it's, I'm really scared that it's not going to work. And this one lady there, she just looks at me. She says, you need a hug, don't you? Oh. And so she gave me the biggest hug. She's this little, this little lady with gray hair. And um, I was welcomed. And so many people, young people, just welcoming me and showing me around. And don't be scared and you'll get used to it. And yeah. I hear laughter. Oh, well, yeah. That makes I me feel so warm. Like yeah. you... you just like such a happy, welcoming place. And you never know when you walk in those doors, like, is there screaming from people going through withdrawals? Right. Like, like, is it a hospital? What's it like? But it just sounds like such an environment that you're like, I can do this. Yeah. This is this is the place for me. It right was now. like a massive kind of cabin in the woods, if you will. It was in the city, but it was yeah. like just surrounded by trees and massive windows everywhere with lots of sunlight. And there was a little shop in there yeah. where you could buy a coffee. Like, yeah. it's like, it felt like whoa. protection. Yeah. Yeah. You were protected. Yeah. You were where you needed to be. And it was, yeah, it was comfortable. So I am, I am so curious what happens inside the recovery center. What was treatment like and how did they work with you in order to to harness that inner strength and that resilience it takes to walk out of those doors and take on? That's a big question because yeah. there's a lot that goes on. So um, 60 days. Like structure of the whole 60 days, like the first week for most people is is kind of settling in and p perhaps withdrawal. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's doctors and nurses and psychiatrists and they're all trying to make you as comfortable as possible. So different types of medications to, um, yeah. to, to ease you in and to make sure that you don't go crazy through withdrawal because there yeah. was a lot of, you know, um, different types of addicts there. Yeah. Lot of amazing and brilliant people with lots of different stories, yeah. um, but a lot of dealing with a lot of difficult substance issues. So, so are you sitting by yourself during these times? So do you get to meet people? Okay, so I think there was like 70, 70 beds, 50 beds or something like okay. that, and it's completely open. So the biggest thing about this facility is, and the most important is connection with your peers. Like mm. that's what they're main thing so they, it's completely open like you don't have a private room well sorry i have a i have we i share a room so there's oh, okay. a ladies ward and men's area as yeah. well and so all the girls have one roommate yeah um the, each guy has a, their own roommate and there's like kind of like a dormed area of this massive building gotcha um and sorry maybe i'll just try to paint a picture for you so yeah dorm area there's a big lecture hall there's a big like cafeteria area with amazing food oh yeah lots of sitting areas um there was a gym mm. um there was an outside area beautiful to go for walks and so your first week you're settling in settling you're feeling in. comfortable so then what does treatment start to look like yeah so um i actually like brought my 
my schedule, my daily schedule with me just to like kind of remind me, but um, it's very structured. Yeah, it it's, looks like it. I can see from across, <laughs> like it's a timetable. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, they say when you come in, give up everything, surrender, listen to us and kind of do as we say. Your brain through addiction has lost its ability to make correct decisions. Yeah. So right now relinquish control mm -hmm. and let us guide you. So that's why structure was so incredibly important. So wake up at seven o'clock, um, go for breakfast, have to do a meditation or like a, a reflections group. Then you go straight into lecture. Lecture was every single day. It was about an hour and a half to two hours. And it was teaching on so many different things. Mm. Like what's going on in your brain? What does grief look like? And how do you get through it? What does smoking do to you or fear? Like every single topic. And there's counselors in the facility like at all times. And so they were also the lecturers, just so incredibly smart people. And they're just, they're like giving Ted talks every single day. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, so there would be lecture and then we'd go into group therapy. So group therapy was like, was something we would do every single day yeah. and it would be with different types of groups. Um, typically I would be with um, ladies or there was an eating disorder group and I was actually put into that because of my history. Yeah. It's just talking, it's getting used to opening up mm -hmm. and hearing other people and, and being like, Oh my gosh, you have a completely different, you, you know, you're from, you're from a different background. You have a different history, but your story on addiction is extremely similar to mine. Right. And, or, you know, there maybe someone's going through something and like, I'm going through that too. Right. Um, and so it's really like removing shame constantly over and Absolutely. over and over again, because you're not alone. Yeah. And it feels so good to talk about all this stuff. Yeah. Like every time you speak, you release part of your, your terminal uniqueness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very well said. Yeah. You know, the people around us have many more answers than you think. So they're empowering you to make connections with others in order to make your own connection. Totally. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and our, my pain is your pain and my happiness is your happiness. And we're all in this together and we're all about embracing each other and supporting each other and laughing, Yeah. trying to make light of our situations. Yeah. Um, like it's the, some of the stories that we would go over, uh, are ridiculous, yeah. but we would laugh about them. Totally. And it, like just watching you, like your demeanor is like lighting up when you're talking <laughs> about these people and you can see just the hope that comes from these, these things, because we, we just chatted about like your terminal uniqueness goes, you go from drinking alone, feeling like you are by yourself. You're the only one that understands your journey to being surrounded by people that, that almost inherently get you. Oh yeah. I'm still close with some of the people um, that I went through treatment with there. Mm. We'd constantly say to each other, like the people in this, in this facility right now are some of the best people I have ever met in my entire life. Yeah. And it's just, it's so, I don't know when you hear a story about someone's pain and how they've grown from it, it's just so inspiring and mm. so uplifting. And it was that all day, every day. Do you have any contact with the outside world? Like, can your parents oh. call you? Can your, can your boyfriend come see you? What is that like? Yeah. So, uh, first week is absolutely zero contact because they say first week is the, is the time where you're most likely to say, no, I'm out. Yeah. I'm done with this. And at any, po and at any point you could be like, I'm done. Thank you. <sighs> you can.
can, yeah. but they will try everything in their power to keep you. Right. Um, that's a that's a, a whole different story, but they try very, very, very hard to keep you. But yeah. technically, yes, you can leave. Yeah. Um, but uh, the first week, no contact with anybody else. Like you can't use the phone because they don't want you calling a loved one and saying, I'm I'm so scared. I want to blah, blah, yeah, blah. Totally. Right? Yeah. Um, so and then after that, um, where there's phone times, you have to sign up for a phone. There's a pay phone in there that you have to get a calling card for. And you have 15 minute time slots. Yeah. So essentially, yeah, no no link to the outside world. Um, there was some newspapers that we could buy and we had a TV that we could watch in the evenings for like an hour or two at a, you know, at yeah. most. So, um, you it know. makes sense. Like if you are triggered by the outside world, why would they want to bring any risk? Absolutely. Into your treatment? Yeah. yeah. They try to like every, they don't want anything like you're not allowed to have music or stuffed animals or anything like they don't want anything, anything to, emotional connection. Totally. To, yeah. to, to talk. They want you to learn how to you. You have the capacity to cope on your own in your body all by yourself. You have enough right, right. now as you are. So, yeah, that's so interesting. So what was the most empowering part of your journey at Edgewood? And in contrast, I'm curious what the hardest part would be. Yeah. So there was a time in group that I will never forget and something happened like um I had a light bulb moment or an angel came and spoke in my ear um something changed I had a massive realization sometimes we can understand certain words by definition but um we don't truly understand them or feel them in our heart so the word um that that I kind of clicked with that day was gratitude and I'd always had this, like, what is it with gratitude? Like years before or whatever. I'm like, why is it everyone's so obsessed with gratitude? It's just like being thankful for stuff or, you know, praying at the dinner table. Thank you for this corn. Thank you for this meat. Like all this kind of stuff, right? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like it's just being thankful. Like why is everyone so hyped about it? Yeah. On this day, I finally made the connection from head to heart on gratitude. I, you know, I had been in this in 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 treatment for maybe like 30 days or something like that and my counselor's kind of like hinting at like I'm not appreciating it enough and I'm not something's not clicking and that was the day that I broke down and I'm like oh my god like this is a life changing situation for me this is something that not a lot of people get. I am in this place because of my parents, um, because I have a support system, because I'm I'm one of the lucky ones. And I never had learned the word gratitude like I did on that day. I <clears throat> I've never loved my parents like I'd loved them that day and appreciated my peers and my counselors and everything back home and my friends like everything just shone brighter everything was more special it's it's as if like my 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 switch flicked from like i could kind of lose more like whatever to like oh my gosh i have all of these things all of these beautiful wonderful things and i'm not appreciating them right now my life is beautiful I have chills, <laughs> Kira. Wow. So, oh, that is as you're saying this, I that word is connecting to my heart. I loved what you said. Can you say it again about you don't always connect the definition mm. with 
how you wholeheartedly feel about it. Yeah. So right now being in like sobriety, especially like words, I can feel them. We can have a word and, and know what it means in a book and read the words and understand it in our head. We can, you know, intellectually understand something, but we don't have a full and complete or I don't have a full and complete understanding until I feel it in my heart. It's yeah. a it's a brain to heart connection. You know, there's certain words that I know right now I intellectually understand and soon the connection to my heart will come. I'm I'm my mind is blown right now. It's almost like like you have nieces. Mm-hmm. My favorite part about my nephews is seeing them experience magic, the the magic of the world for the mm-hmm. first time. And for instance, the first time they see fireworks, the first time they see somebody dressed up as a dinosaur, you see that magic in their eyes. And we somehow along the way, we start taking things for granted. Mm -hmm. And when you forget about that magic, that connection from head to heart gets kind of murky. Yeah. So it sounds like this moment for you reconnected your head and your heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't, I had no clue that I was underappreciating everything I had. I'm not even going to ask you what the hardest part of your treatment was because (laughs) I don't care. That, that is, that is worth the investment just there. Mm -hmm. So 60 days are up. Yeah. In contrast to how you felt walking into those, those big glass doors, what was that like walking out of them? Well, um, I would say two weeks before leaving or knowing when I was going to finish. Um, I was so psyched. Yeah. I'm like, I can do this. I'm going to, you know, get back to work. I'm going to, you know, get back into, or like start my recovery plan and go to, you know, different support groups and all that kind of stuff. Um, but this is also end of March, 2020. And this is the time when everything is locking down. Yeah. Everything is closing. Um, Were you aware of of the pandemic? Yes, but not to the extent. Yeah. Like, I didn't experience what you guys experienced. I was in my safe little happy bubble. Right. Um, I just, from what I saw on the news, just like cases and the Trudeau saying everything's getting shut down and stay at home. Like, that's kind of what it was. But I didn't get to feel what you guys felt. Right. And it was two days before I was going to leave treatment that I got a call from my work that unfortunately my contract um, had been terminated um, because uh, all of this like there was a massive layoff and anyone that was on a term which I was at the time or a term contract all contracts were terminated due to COVID so two days before I left I don't have a job and I'm like okay so plan blew up challenge Um, number one yes and so i'm like okay um maybe i'll stay here in nanaimo yeah and i'll maybe go to a sober house and what i can do is they have like aftercare classes at the treatment facility and you can come in every day and go to these classes and be with the same people that you were going through treatment with so i'm like like, boosters yeah 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 and still be in the community yeah and like not be like like booted out okay like bye have a good time (laughs) good luck yeah so i'm like okay that's what i'll do because a lot of people do just go home but i'm like "Ah, i just i feel so safe here and i don't want to lose that safety so that was my plan Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden nope no more in-person classes everything in regards to the treatment center is getting shut down it's all via zoom and i was like uh well that changes things does it ever um 
and I'm freaking out like this. I think I had to make a whole bunch of decisions in like 48 hours. And so what I did end up doing was I did go to a like sober living home, which is really just a really beautiful home in Nanaimo. And I, and I shared it with a couple other um, sober girls. Long story short, it just, it didn't um, give me what I needed. Oh, and I didn't do any, I I could do the zoom classes wherever I wanted. Mm -hmm. So that was also a saving grace. And some of like five people that I graduated treatment with were in Kelowna. And so I said, I'm going to go there. And I chatted with my loved ones. I chatted with my Wendy. I said, you know, right now, again, I can't make decisions. Uh, I don't trust my, my, my decision-making quite yet. So help me through this. And they said, you know, I found a place I found, um, you know, sober people to be with. I knew what I was going to do, be doing. And I was, I, my plan was to be there for a month. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I went there for a month. I, um, I was in support groups, um, every single day. I went hiking every single day. You know, yeah. it, it was really awful that, you know, I lost my job, but it was also a massive opportunity. Yeah. Like it was spring in Kelowna. It yeah. was gorgeous. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I didn't have to jump right into COVID world. I yeah. just enjoyed my sobriety. My yeah, newfound imagine, freedom. Can you imagine being back at work like a week after you got home and like the stresses that come with Absolutely. that? Yeah. You know, it was, it's a, blessing and a curse like covid provided a lot of struggle a lot of roadblocks but it gave me so many um really fascinating opportunities so um i can't even remember what your question was did i answer it you did (laughs) okay it was that like what was that feeling like when you left i was i was frazzled trying to figure out what what does my life look like totally does anyone know what their life looks like right (laughs) now So I don't, I don't think I was alone in that sense. That's so interesting. Like, I think it's interesting that we are talking about this, like your, your journey, um, with, with sobriety started five to 10 years ago. Like this is very fresh. This is still very new. And I appreciate how, um, how soon you're able to have these conversations. But what I think it's so interesting, like you did not get your typical, like post-treatment back to work time to 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 reacclimate yourself into it what has this past year been like for you because i'm sure there have been a hundred different challenges that you wouldn't have experienced otherwise yeah you you jumped in the deep end yeah it's a good it's a really good question and you know living or coming out of treatment and go, jumping right into sobriety is a brand new life for me already something Mm -hmm. I don't recognize something I don't remember like I've never I haven't lived a sober life since I was in high school right um and this is already brand new something I don't recognize so it's like jumping into a new country and trying to find your bearings right living in COVID world and also sober world is just my new world yeah that's just what it is right so I'm not used to anything else I don't know anything different mm-hmm. um it has you know it has its struggles I mean what they say in treatment is absolutely stay away from isolation like yeah. remain connected if, if you're isolated that's the time for you to fall back into old ways right well what are like we're isolated yeah we're, absolutely we're in isolation yeah. all the time so you know it's it's finding creative ways to connect it's finding new ways to cope um i've had you know struggle with um kind of work like i i got hired back where i was but i'm laid off again unfortunately um but i mean covid yes so many struggles but massive opportunities i wouldn't have had the immense you know i feel like i've had a good amount of growth this past year and i wouldn't have had it if i didn't have the time for my thoughts 
and the time to reflect and the time to learn, like really learn about myself Mm -hmm. and really start to love myself. I didn't realize how much I disliked myself. Yeah. I had no clue. And this past year has been a massive opportunity for me to really deep dive into myself. And it's so fascinating. Yeah. And I want to get into that because very recently you collaborated with CTV on a piece that not only shared your story, but it it gave a warning to the rising alcohol intake levels during the pandemic. But before we, we dive too deep into it, what was that like to share something that you had kept hidden for so long on such a public platform and uh, like your residual network was now going to find out about it. Yeah. I mean, old me would have been like, hide, 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 hide. Yeah, Don't pr- share Protect anything. your narrative. Protect, protect yourself. But from what I'm learning is each time I share, each time I get more free. I have a, a recovery Instagram. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's public and uh, it's kind of like my own little journal yeah. and anyone can join. And I, you know, I really kind of built it to one yeah, journal and also to connect with other sober people in Saskatchewan mm-hmm. or Regina. And who knows, maybe we can hang out sometime. Yeah. Or even just to normalize it for somebody yeah. else. Somebody reads that and it removes a, a chunk of their terminal uniqueness. Mm-hmm. I, I'm using that word like I use it every day now. <laughs> um, but they... It removes that part of it and it might reveal that side of them that says it's time for me to go get help like you did. One of the biggest reasons too that I think I'm okay with the CTV story and and also this is I wish I could have, you know, four years ago when I first started on my recovery journey, I wish I could have heard me. Yeah. I wish I could have heard that there was someone, some young educated woman in early 30s that could do everything but quit drinking. Yeah. Um, and, and learn that, uh, Hey, it's possible. And she's from Regina. She's from Saskatchewan. She's pretty dope. Yeah. Um, and has two wizarding wands. What's that? Has two Harry Potter wands. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, and just, if I was looking for that voice back then, I'm assuming that maybe there's someone else looking for my voice right now. Yeah. Um, this is my favorite part of the article and I want to share it with you. Um, when you're asked for advice, you'd give others struggling with alcohol or substance abuse. You say, play the tape forward. If you go ahead and indulge tonight, what does that mean for you tomorrow? What does that mean for you in the morning? What does that mean for you tonight even? And do you look forward to that person? If the answer is no, then maybe it can give you a clue into the decision of indulging or not. What a powerful universal message that can be stretched across so many different situations. Is this an example of a coping a coping mechanism that you learned um, at your treatment center? Or has this wisdom come from life experience and the perspective that you've gained through this battle? Both. This isn't something that, um, I don't know if I would have came across this in treatment, but more so when I was learning, reading, um, listening to podcasts about recovery. Mm-hmm. And the number one thing that resonated with me was always something around this. Yeah. Whenever, you know, the thought of alcohol comes up for me today, which thank goodness it doesn't really anymore. If it does come up, I think about it as like split screening. So like on your TV, yeah, you have two sides of the TV, like one's playing one channel, the other play is, is playing the other, like yeah. two of your favorite shows. Yeah. And one is going to show you future you 
sober, waking up tomorrow morning, doing whatever your your heart desires in yeah. that day. And then also um, on, on the other channel or the other side of the screen is I go and drink. Then what happens? What do I look like? What am I actually going to get up to the next day? How am I going to feel? Am I going to be sick? Am I going to be disappointed in myself? Right. Am I going to be embarrassed? Who am I going to disappoint? Um, and, you know, that's one of the things that has helped me so much because I so look forward to seeing sober Kira. Yeah. And I love that. Like, and I think, like I said, it's so universal. Like, so for instance, if somebody cuts you off on ring road, play the tape forward for what you want to do with that rage. Like, do you want to drive up beside them, give them a finger? Who knows what could happen from there? So I always like to count to 10. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling some sort of pain or or anger or rage, count to 10. You can always survive 10 seconds of something. I yeah. just love that. Play, play the tape forward. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you mentioned your Instagram account and it's called at undrunk, U-N-D-R-U-N-K underscore S-K. So undrunk underscore Sask, where you profile your journey to normalizing and discovering recovery. You posted something last month that had me bawling and I'm going to try to say it without crying again but it was the cutest photo of you as a kid with this this long thick red hair and just this awesome neon tie-dye sweater but this is how you captioned the photo and I quote this baby Kira just want to hug her and love her seeing photos of younger me sometimes gets me emotional I wish I could tell her she is good enough Oh, I'm, I'm holding back tears just saying that because the photo is, it's, it's such a beautiful photo because you're, the look in your eyes is so happy and joyful. And you said you had such a great childhood. I want to give you that chance. So after gaining all of these battle scars and, and the valuable perspective that comes with them, what would you tell yourself as a kid? I think the message is um, that you're enough, that you don't have to prove anything to anybody to validate your worth, that you have everything you need as you are in your body right now, and it's really beautiful. Sorry, I'm just <laughs> thinking of the image yeah. of myself. Um, you know, what I, what I also like to try to do, you know, if I can have so much love for mini me, just like wholehearted love, why can't I do that for myself like right now? Mm -hmm. And so I try to imagine myself as an old lady and I'm do doing the exact same exercise. And 80 year old me is telling me right now in my thirties, like what she wants me to hear. Mm -hmm. You have such a bright future ahead of you. You are loved, you are enough, you're hilarious. You can do anything, but you don't have to either. You don't have to push yourself to be the successful superstar that you think you're supposed to be like what you are right now is perfect. Oh, that is beautiful, Kira. Thank you for that. Final question for you. Okay. And I think I know the answer to this, but I want to ask it anyway. Was the cost of recovery and this past year of self-discovery worth it? Hands down, best decision of my life. <laughs> this past year, I've lost my job twice. Yeah. I got a puppy and she got into a horrible car accident thank goodness she's alive wow um i've had some you know deaths in my family in in previous years this could have easily been the worst year of my life if i was still in my addiction like mm -hmm. not having 
you know, a job and, you know, responsibilities like this would have been fuel for my fire. Right. But this is easily one of the best years of my life and the worst years are behind me. I lied. I have to ask one more question. Okay. (laughs) If walking into those doors, if you could look forward into the future and say someday I'm going to be one year and two months sober. Oh my gosh. That just lights me up. Yeah. Your eyes just sparkled when I said that. (sighs) I wish. Oh my goodness. That is so cool. Thank you for putting that perspective in my mind. Like, because that was the biggest thing I feared was like, I don't know if this is going to work. Like I felt so hopeless. And to know that I'm one of the people that has succeeded, that's that's amazing. I mean, not everyone does. Yeah. It's a really, really hard road. A lot of the people that I went to treatment with have had their hiccups. Yeah. Some have passed away. Yeah. There's a lot of factors that weigh into my my sobriety success. Yeah. So, um, but I'm dedicated to it. Yeah. If you could play that tape forward walking into those doors, you would have seen this is going to work. This is going to work. Yeah. And it's awesome. And it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Before... We let you go. I'm going to hit you with some speed round questions to connect with you on a different level. Okay. First question. You make amazing cakes. Yeah. Everybody needs to know this. <laughs> what is the hardest cake you've ever made? Oh, goodness. Um, and these are like, these are impressive cakes. So go check out Kira's Instagram to see these. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I made a, a Disney bell cake for my niece. Um, it, that one would have been the most difficult. The, it was just so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. But a bell, a bell cake. Good to know. Do you sing or do you dance in the shower? Dan- well, both actually. No, that's. <laughs> you were so assured of that <laughs> no. answer. I think I'm, I'm definitely dance. Okay. You're a dancer dance. in the shower. Yeah. Okay. Earliest movie you can remember seeing in a theater. I just remember the earliest movie, but earliest movie in the theater. Or hit me with the earliest movie you remember definitely lion king oh god that's a scarring one yeah it was so good it's so good but like it's criminal how we do that to kids Mm -hmm. with mufasa passing away the way he does kids are resilient they don't get it until like our age oh i remember getting it (laughs) oh did you i remember like looking up at my dad being like what (laughs) that's what happens oh poor mason i'm sorry Uh, so best compliment you've ever received oh Probably you're the bravest person I know. Mm. Soup or cereal? I don't really care for either. <gasps> what? <laughs> Maybe Lucky Charms? <laughs> I'm personally offended. Those are my two favorite food groups. Really? Soup and cereal. Well, I thought, you know, I have lactose intolerance. Oh, okay. That uh, so the cereal doesn't do it for me and I don't like soy milk. Um, yeah. And soup, like, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. So many soups have milk in them. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, it's okay. I, I forgive you now after you explain okay. that. So next question. What is something that your dog does? What does something that Lily do? What? <laughs> <laughs> what? Sorry. What is something that Lily does that makes you howl every time? I don't know. Like she's so good at keeping me present and just like reminding me of staying uh, to stay present. Like dogs are amazing for that. They're just yeah. only paying attention to right now. Totally. And so when we go out for walks, it's just, I love like seeing her just get jazzed about chasing rabbits and her tongue's hanging out yeah. and like everything is, the world is amazing. And totally. it's just like, I want to be you right now. Absolutely. I, I want to emulate you. Yeah. Oh, I love that one. What's a TV show that you've already seen, but you could watch it over and over and over again? <laughs> Probably The Simpsons. Oh, really? Yeah. That's a, I don't think The Simpsons gets enough love for like the staying power it's had. Yeah. Like- but- 
I just kind of started getting into it a little bit again. I'm like, this is good. Yeah. Like, and it's got a good storyline every yeah. episode. I didn't realize it, but it's funny. I don't know. I like it. How many? I'm going to Google really quickly how many Simpsons episodes there's been. I'm going to guess 2,500. 2,500. The answer is 639. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I have no clue how to estimate yeah. how many episodes of a That's show there a lot. is. 639 episodes is a lot. So, and the first episode date was 19, December 17th, 1989. Wow. Yeah. So that's, the Simpsons are older than me. 32 seasons. Yeah. Crazy. Hmm. Um, last question. What connects us? Our smiles. I don't know. <laughs> what connects us? Uh, okay. Do, do it again. <laughs> that sounded like a dentistry Our advertisement. Smiles. Um, humans are um, pack animals. We're meant to be together. We don't do well on our own. And um, we're here to support one another. I know pieces of you just like you know pieces of me because we both feel the same thing. I love that. We don't have terminal uniqueness. Mm-mm. Kira, thank you. This story that you just told, I'm sure you can't even imagine. You couldn't even imagine yourself being able to sit here a couple of years ago to be able to tell it. And I... I am so proud of you because there are so many people who don't have the chance to take control of their lives. And I am so proud that you took that opportunity to take control of your life and change the trajectory of the course you were on. I am so lucky to have known you and I feel so privileged to have heard the story and to, and to be part of, of you telling it. So thank you for your bravery, your courage and for being unique. <laughs> thank you so much and I mean I wouldn't you're a big part like you're a big part of where I am today so um thank you I'm grateful for you I'm grateful for you too all right everyone that's a wrap on season two of the what connects is podcast before you get on with your day if you are enjoying the podcast please do me a favor and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to the podcast. And please hit that subscribe or follow button. This helps us so much and allows us to continue telling Saskatchewan stories like Kira's. If you liked this episode in particular, please like, comment, and share this episode and show Kira some love. Thank you so much for listening. It truly means the world. I'll be back on May 19th to kick off season three. Let's connect then.